Hey everyone, Clay here. Just before we start, I want to let you know at the end of this episode, we mentioned that the next episode will be number 190, which is Frailty, but uh, we called a bit of an audible after we recorded this, and the next episode will be number 165, Scream 2. And I know what you're saying. You're saying, Clay, the new one's coming out. This is just a hollow cash grab to capitalize on all of the attention that the Scream franchise is getting, maybe draw some new eyeballs to your podcast because you listen to podcasts with your eyeballs. And you know what? You'd be absolutely right. So thanks for bearing with us. After Scream 2, we'll be back on track with Frailty. But until then, enjoy whatever happened to Baby Jane. Thanks, guys. Hello everyone and happy new year and welcome to the Rotten Horror Picture Show, the horror movie podcast where we talk about movies off of the Rotten Tomatoes 200 best horror movies of all time list. Except not today. Except not today. My name is Clay and with me as always is Amanda. How are you doing Amanda? I'm okay. How was your, how was your new year? How was your Christmas? Oh, you know, didn't really do anything. Scintillating. Yeah, I'm amazing, an exciting person. Amazing radio. Yeah. <laughs> um, we, uh, as as Amanda alluded to, we usually do movies off the Rotten Tomatoes 200 best horror movies of all time list, but we have hit our next wild card, which was chosen by Amanda, and today yes. we are covering Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. This is going to be an interesting one, because I don't know if I would, not to jump to the, mm. the last thing we talk about generally, but yes. I don't know if I would quantify this as a horror movie but i also kind of would yeah i'm i i yeah not to jump the gun too much before we get the intros done Mm -hmm. i am excited to have that conversation and hear what other people think as well yeah because because there's a lot of um stuff that were this made today i Mm -hmm. think would be more straightforward kind of horror movie stuff Yes, the style of this movie, like the visual and tonal style of this movie, oftentimes makes it kind of just difficult to distinguish, like, how scary is this part supposed to be? Right, right, yeah. right. Um, this was from 1962. It is not on our list, as I said, but it does have a 92% Rotten Tomato score. Mm-hmm. Very high, very highly regarded. Uh, obviously, you had seen this one before. I... Yes can't remember if i've seen it Mm. i i feel like i either saw this one or the you know spiritual follow-up hush hush sweet charlotte oh okay but either way it's been long enough that if i had seen this it (laughs) was this was essentially a new yes yeah yeah um so what made you what made you choose this one i mean partially because it is so well regarded Mm -hmm. and yet kind of forgotten at this point yeah like there's not a lot of talk about this movie there's not a lot of 
it, it, it kind of hasn't had its resurgence or its renaissance yet. I think the closest it came was, um, wasn't it like Ryan Murphy did a mm-hmm. feud, which is based right. on Betty Davis and Joan Crawford and how much they hated each other. Yeah, and that was only a year or two ago, I think. It was fairly yeah, recently. Yeah, I think. I think maybe 2019. Yeah. Um, so it, it did have kind of a moment there, but I, I think I sort of expected that to sort of launch this movie back into mm. some like best of lists or some sort of revival and it didn't right and that kind of surprised me because this movie is is largely talked it was largely talked about at the time as sort of in the same realm as psycho oh interesting um and you know a lot of people credit it with kind of kicking off like a horror subgenre of crazy older women okay so it the most terrifying kind of woman Yes, both old and insane. You know, she's young and insane. She's at least got something going yeah, for her. You know. um, but yeah, it, so it was like a relatively influential and, and very popular movie. It like made a ton of money when it came out. Mm-hmm. Um, Betty Davis was nominated for an Oscar for Best yeah. Actress in it. Yeah. Like it was a really, really big deal movie that then I think in more recent times has been just sort of completely pushed into the background. Yeah. Um, and I do think there's an interesting debate around it about how much of this is a horror movie mm. and, and why or why not. And, and so I just, it felt like fertile ground to me. Yeah. And it's, it, it is interesting because the, the longest lasting thing to come out of this mm. is the legend of how yes. much Betty Davis and Joan Crawford hated each other, oh, Yeah, <laughs> which I think even predates this. I I think they did not like each other even before this. Mm -hmm. And then having to be in close proximity to one another, like, heightened all of that. And Mm -hmm. then it sounds like after the movie was done is when some shit really went down. Knowing absolutely nothing about that feud, Mm. except for the one or two bits of trivia I read on IMDb about this movie. Yeah. Team Betty all the way. Oh, come on. (laughs) I don't know. It sounded like Joe Crawford was kind of a not really... It seemed like Betty Davis was here to play and Joan Crawford was just kind of like, this is, I'm, I guess I'll do this. But again, like I said, I know nothing about this. I think it's interesting because I, I think the difference is that uh, Joan Crawford had this veneer of being a very delicate and right. civilized right. and sort of, she had this like noblesse oblige kind of attitude like everyone else was like a little bit beneath her. So she had to be extra dextra nice to them. Mm-hmm. Whereas Betty Davis saw that and was just like, oh, fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, you know, she was a lot more aggressive aggressive rather than Joan Crawford's yeah, passive aggressive. I can uh, also, based on just this movie and a couple of things I read, I can understand that Betty Davis was probably aggressive v- towards her and probably yes. everybody else she met. Absolutely. Yeah. That was like the Betty Davis thing was that she was just this kind of crass, like, you know, firecracker of a woman. Yeah. And Joan Crawford's whole, like aura that she tried to maintain around herself was the exact opposite of that so they were kind of like guaranteed to hate each other yeah wrote an entire song about her eyes though betty davis yeah <laughs> i i don't know who wrote that song but you know that song betty davis no, eyes really no it's, no. A, it's a song from the 80s oh, okay um <clears throat> i would put it in here but i think we would get copyright something but <laughs> it's a fun song yeah. uh so we're gonna take a quick break and play the trailer and then we will talk about whatever happened whatever did happen to baby jane Ladies and gentlemen, baby Jane Hudson. I've written a letter to Daddy. His address. 
I wonder if you can guess who I am. I'm Baby Jane Hudson. Who the hell was Baby Jane Hudson? I've written a letter to Daddy saying I love you. My sister doesn't ever go out. She's um, not fit to receive visitors. Jane, I want to talk to you. I'm afraid I have bad news. We'll probably have to sell the house. You aren't ever going to sell this house. And you aren't ever going to leave it. She's sick, and she's not getting any better. You mean Jane? I think she seems much better lately. I was cleaning the cage. The bird got out. You wouldn't be able to do these awful things to me if I weren't still in this chair. But you are, Blanche. You are in that chair. <laughs> Jane, please. Don't do this to me. Jane! Jane, please! <laughs> Okay, Whatever Happened to Baby Jane from 1962, directed by Robert Aldrich, written by Lucas Heller from the novel by Henry Farrell, starring Betty Davis, Joan Crawford, Mady Norman, and King Tut from the Adam West Batman. (laughs) And probably my favorite character in this movie. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, Amanda, what happens in, whatever happens in Whatever Happened to Baby Jane? Jane Hudson is an aging child star left to care for her wheelchair-bound sister Blanche, also a former actress. Stuck living together in a mansion in old Hollywood, Blanche plots to get even with Jane for the car crash that left her crippled years earlier, but Jane is desperate to keep Blanche imprisoned as she plans a new rise to fame and tries to hide Blanche's existence from doctors, visitors, and neighbors while she devises a way to get rid of her sister. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Clay, in this movie, yes. some things you will find include mm-hmm. Canary Al Caprese. Also, a, a real, like, smorgasbord of, of uh, found meats, <laughs> I guess we could call it. Yes, there's also definitely, like, uh, rodent Al Caprese yes, in there as yes. well. She, I mean, she's going out there for different proteins might yes. have to mix it up as far as the presentation goes though. yeah everything on a bed of tomatoes yes yeah uh a totally non-threatening life-size child doll yeah what other kind is there other I than mean... non-threatening and non-creepy <laughs> there's that thing Just actually a little girl a mm-hmm. little blonde girl with ring curls and freckles do you did you have growing up or do you remember the my twin doll no. It was around the same time as the uh, American Girl doll Okay, boom. yep. And uh, my mother got one for my sister. Uh-huh. And basically what you do is you send them oh. a picture of your child, and then oh, they send no. you a doll oh, that God. looks exactly like that picture. And um, my sister was horrified by it and wow. continues to be so. And it became sort of a, uh, I guess you'd call it a prank and not an emotional <laughs> scar. Where, not, not, not abuse, not no, at all. No, no, not at all. Where my mother will 
hide it <gasps> places or had it frequently would hide it places. Oh my God. For instance, one Valentine's Day, she had positioned it in my sister's bed. Oh with, my God. With the um, heart full of candies that my mom had bought her and smeared chocolate on its <gasps> mouth to make it look like it was eating the Oh candies. my God. So this was like satanic elf on the shelf. Yes, basically. Yeah. Oh my God. Uh, when my sister went to college, my mother tucked it at the bottom of her suitcase. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> Uh, and I believe when my sister bought her house, my mother left it like the oh, only th- thing. So, so this is still happening. Still happening. <laughs> it, I believe it was the only thing placed in the garage when they moved in. Oh, so my man. sister came down into the garage and was met by oh my god, the ghastly frozen face uh, of my twin doll. Wow, that's see, that's extra horrifying. Like I feel like most most girls, if you talk to most most women. They remember having a doll when they were a kid that was scary. Like, Mm -hmm. I definitely had, like, my grandmother gave me a doll that was, like, promptly put into the bottom of a drawer and covered with many, many other things Mm -hmm. because it scared the shit out of me. Yeah. And so, but, like, having one that actually looks like you two, no, that's, that's that's another level. Yeah. They never made action figures that look like me. (laughs) See, that's actually a much cooler idea. I'm surprised no one's done that. I feel like a bunch of, like, little boys with... Like, love that. Especially now in, in the modern, uh, everybody our age buys that crap yeah. still. I include myself in that conversation. <laughs> um, but you can get like, oh, you can get yourself as a Simpson. Yeah. Or as, as a character from Family Guy. How come they don't have custom? Yeah. Wouldn't you always want a Batman figurine where you take the cowl off and it's your face underneath? It would be, I think the reason they don't do it is because the for the people who bought it, it would be too real mm. to see how much they don't measure up yeah. to what an actual <laughs> superhero looks like. Yeah, yeah. I will say... Um, Bad for the self-esteem, that one. Yeah, my friend Doug, uh, Doug Cowan, he's a fantastic painter, does a lot of Star Wars stuff. Years mm. ago, we were at a convention, and uh, our mutual friend, Jim Galdos, came over and got a uh, sketch card. Uh, he was Doug yeah. was doing commissions. Yep. He was doing the sketch card commissions. And Jim's request was to be drawn as a stormtrooper with the helmet on. So it's just a stormtrooper, <laughs> normal stormtrooper drawing. Uh-huh. And underneath, Doug wrote Jim as a stormtrooper. <laughs> there it is. Yes. Perfect. One of my of favorite art. commissions. Anyway. Yes. Anyway, uh, some other things you'll find include the name Blanche. You don't hear the name Blanche anymore. I think was yeah. there has there been a Blanche since the Golden Girls? I'm sure it's going to come back because everybody names their kids like like I feel like the trend now is like old-timey names. Yeah, I Do feel you know like I mean? we're right around Golden Girls era now that they're yeah. all gone, RIP. Yeah. Uh Aww, poor Betty. I think those names are coming back. You're going to see yeah. more Dorothy's. Yeah. And uh, uh Blanche's. Oh, oh yeah, absolutely. And the other one, I'm not a Golden Girls remember. fan, so I don't. I don't. Know. My Is it a Rose? My, Rose. There we go. And okay. the old one. <laughs> I apologize. To In my, my sister head, and my I'm girlfriend. just like Lorraine, but I'm sure that's wrong. Yeah. I don't yeah. Know. Mom. Mom. Uh, and just to round it out, highly questionable parenting. Some great parenting too. I mean, uh, but I mean, uh, uh, Daddy. Yes. Daddy is not a not a good daddy. No, there's the parenting in this movie is uh stage stage dad. Yes. And then also bitter stage mom Silent who's like staring mom. Yeah, the dad who's who's um fostering this 
career for her his young daughter and I then mean, the like mother kind of pimping her out true and then the mother who is is taking the other daughter and teaching yes. her about spite and bitterness yes sour face to disapproval at all times yes yeah yeah um so yeah so this movie is really interesting um <clears throat> where do where do you want to start with this do you have anything particularly want to jump off with I, yeah, I, I don't know. I guess we can just kind of briefly go over the opening salvos of this movie, which sure. start with the uh, vaudeville child act. Yeah, yeah. Which just as a concept to me is the scariest thing. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's it felt I was I jokingly texted you and I was like, is this just stage moms 1917? Oh, no, yeah, it, yeah. It's 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 a really interesting portrait of a time before movies mm-hmm. um and i think that the, the the amount of time that this movie covers is one of the more interesting aspects of it yeah because it starts in 1917 with jane in a vaudeville act yes and then moves into um 1935 yep when talkies yes. are all the rage and it shows a very real thing that happened which is mm-hmm. a lot of people who were vaudeville acts and maybe silent movie stars once they got to sound sound pictures <laughs> uh didn't were not successful didn't right. have careers yeah um yeah the skill set just didn't transfer over yeah yeah or they had weird voices yeah which ha- happened more than once yeah i mean i said it in a nicer way but you can just insult them <laughs> <laughs> hey i'm just i'm just saying what they were told by the by the <laughs> by uh uh mgm yeah um but yeah it's it's a really it's it's an interesting flip for these characters because you've got Jane who is a popular vaudeville child act yes who then grows up and her skills don't uh, translate she's not good in movies but Blanche seems to be a natural film actress right and starts getting all these roles right and 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 based on the dialogue between the studio executives in the 1935 portion we learn that Blanche has had it inserted into her contract. One of the clauses of her contract with the studio Mm -hmm. is that they give her sister X amount of roles for every movie they do with her. Right, right. So it's this interesting, it sets up this interesting sort of like, when they're adults, Jane is like, Everything you have co- have comes from me. I was the one who made all the money for this family ever since we were little girls. Mm-hmm. I did all the work and, you know, you wouldn't have anything if it hadn't been for me, baby Jane Hudson. Mm-hmm. But she doesn't seem to be fully aware of the fact that, like, the only reason she kept getting roles was her sister was... I like like maybe she's aware of it, but she yeah. never acknowledges it. Yes, I think yeah. she's aware of it. Yeah, but it makes her like more bitter. Oh, hundred percent. Like she almost seems like she would have preferred to just have not had had none. Yeah, I think either way, she's going to end up drinking herself to death, which is yeah. more or less on the road that she's on. <laughs> Close, in this one. yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it, uh, you never really are told what exactly doesn't click with her but does click with blanche yeah but the fact remains that it happens it it, uh jane is becomes an alcoholic and is drinking all the time right i mean and don't you think part of it is the voice yeah probably because because one of the running things throughout the movie um in the main narrative of the movie in 1962 is blanche's voice like like Mm -hmm. jane learning to imitate blanche's very kind of posh hollywood voice right right like yeah yeah and because yeah jane is is very hammy she's <laughs> yeah. up very over the top and yeah. i mean 
Betty Davis has such a great gravelly old lady voice. Yes. <laughs> um, and the uh, at, after you know you, we get this this we see where they both are in, when they're young women in their careers in Hollywood, and then we get sort of the uh, the principal incident of the movie, which is a yes. car accident scene where we don't see who drives the car and who gets hit, but mm-hmm. someone driving uh, Blanche's car deliberately hits the other sister. So one sister's driving, deliberately yes. hits the other one with the car. Yeah. But we don't see who it is. Right. Eventually, we, it is revealed to be that uh, it's played up as though it was Jane driving the car. Right, and, and that she hit Blanche, who right. from the vast majority of the movie is in a wheelchair. Yes, yes. She, yeah. in, in 1962, which is where the bulk of the movie takes place, or yesterday, as it says. <laughs> which I love as like a card. Yeah, like I had to I yesterday. had to explain it to my girlfriend. I had to explain yeah, it to my husband. <laughs> she wasn't totally sure what was going on. She's like, wait, is it... 1935 it's yeah the day when, before when they when they went into the house and you first see uh the adult jane and and blanche greg was like wait are these the same was she the one in the movie mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like yes yesterday meaning if you were an audience watching this when it came out mm-hmm. it's supposed to feel like that yesterday yeah not 1935 yesterday i i always appreciate it when they do that kind of thing where they the the setting is meant to be modern but like mm-hmm. just slightly off modern so in this case yes. yesterday or uh the one i liked was in the x-men first x-men movie they were everything looks like it takes place now but yeah they say the not too distant future ah. so it could be it could be tomorrow it could be 10 years from now right um yeah so for the bulk of the movie the the main conflict is you've got jane who is this washed up alcoholic yep who is now the caretaker for blanche who and is, has been for like 20 years yes ever point. ever since the accident yeah um and you eventually find out that uh it wasn't jane driving the car hit blanche it was blanche trying to kill jane but just blew it right and broke her own back yes <laughs> From a low speed collision with a, yeah. with a game. I mean, she probably was drove, let's be generous and say 10, 15 yeah. yards, maybe. <laughs> At 15 miles per hour. Yeah, like in however much like off the line pickup you could get on yes. one of those On a 1935. Cars. Packard yeah. or something. <laughs> um, I'm sure it was a nicer car than that. Yeah, but, probably. Uh, but somehow that launched her out of the car and snapped her spine. Look, ladies back then were not supposed to like have uh, vitamins or minerals. Yes, so their all bones very fragile, were yes. very fragile. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Um, they had to be translucent like the, the film they were shot on. It's yeah, the that's way, the only yeah. way movies worked. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and so this reveal, the, the most interesting, the interesting thing about this reveal is you've got this whole movie where Jane is absolutely awful. Yeah. Awful to yeah. Blanche. Yeah. She's really atrocious. Like she's unapologetically horrible. But at the same time, because of, she's got this delusion of having a comeback. Uh-huh. You know, she hires King Tut to come over and play the piano for Edwin. Her. Edwin. Edwin. And uh, she's trying to get her career back started yes, again, she's got doing the Baby Jane stuff. And, yeah. yeah. There's there's a level of pathos baked into it where, yeah, she's a monster, but it's you also feel sad for her for a number of reasons. Yeah. Because of 
you know, what she's doing, how pathetic it is she's trying to get her career back going. Yeah. Um, and that she thinks she can get her career not back to... Because she did have a career after being Baby Jane. Right. She was in movies. Right. And yet she's going back to to when she was Baby Jane Hudson. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and it's... You've you've got some uh, sympathy built in from their clearly messed up family dynamic. Yeah, the fact that she's an alcoholic. Like, there's a lot of stuff. She's not just a monster, right? She's right. very monstrous. Yes, but there is there is a lot in her character that makes it um, not easy, but allows you to be okay with feeling sympathy for her. Yeah, I, I and I think that's part of why the movie. I think it's funny because on the one hand, I think it's part of why the movie works so well. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, I also think it's part of why it makes it debatable if this is a horror movie or not. Sure. Um, Or makes it harder to sort of pin down my feelings about it, at least. Um, Because I think if she were just a straight up like misery style, I'm going to take the sledgehammer and smash her legs in. It'd be a lot easier to just hate her and just be like, she is a monster. She's like the evil force in the movie. But it would also make the movie harder to watch because it's like a two-hour-long totally. movie. Yeah. It would be well, a lot if she was just like wall-to-wall terrible the whole time with yeah. no feeling of like maybe, like maybe she'll turn around and mm. realize she's doing something wrong. Maybe she'll have a moment of clarity. Like I think for a lot of this movie, you kind of almost think there's a chance somebody might be able to convince her, yeah, to like talk her out of it, yeah. And it just doesn't happen. Yeah. What's what's so fascinating to me as far as how this is kind of structured is she is in most of the movie. Like, yeah. it, like Joan Crawford really isn't in much of this movie. She's She's got a, a handful of scenes, but Betty Davis is, is doing it all. Yeah. And so I think in order to have a character that has that much screen time mm-hmm. that you care about in any way, she can't be a monster. Right. Because if, she's, if she was just evil right then you're gonna get sick of watching her and there's not really enough um pushback from joan crawford's character yeah for you to be like i can't wait till she gets one over on on betty davis you know what i mean she's joan crawford is really has no hope of getting out of there on her own power yeah yeah like her her physical limitations really kind of prevent any feeling of them being on equal footing Mm mm-hmm for most of the movie, and it's not a mo- it's not a story about it's not like misery where the story is about the guy freeing himself from his captor. Right, right. The movie is about the captor. Right, right. Which allows you to kind of interestingly make the captor more sympathetic, but also make the fate of the the captive more bleak. Yes. Yeah. So, how did you feel about like? Did you know going into this movie the, the, about the reveal? I didn't, no. Okay, because no. it comes at the very end of the movie. You yeah. find out what really happened. Mm-hmm. So were you, how did you react to that? I'm curious like how, how it how it kind of hit you. I'm. Like, were you surprised? Did you sort of see it coming? I didn't, I wasn't surprised necessarily because just the way that they present the accident mm-hmm. felt fishy enough that. I felt like they were going to try and pull a fast one on you. Mm. And I was like, the only thing they really could do is say, oh, it wasn't her driving the car. It was yeah. you know, vice versa. Um, I think 
I I I like it because it doesn't actually solve anything. It actually yeah. it what it makes it it almost makes you feel it complicates the story more. Yes. And it makes both characters more complicated in the way that you feel about them, which I think is really interesting and nice. Yes. Um, because after this reveal where uh, Blanche says that she was the one driving the car, Jane is nuts. She's gone yeah. off the oh, deep yeah. end at this point. Yeah. And so it doesn't even really land what's being said to her, or maybe it does. It, it kind of, I think, does, but not the full extent. Because she's sort of reverted at this point to like a right. childlike state. So I don't think she realizes like how much of her life she has lost to this lie. I think also you might be the opposite where it's like mm. she does understand. And it's yeah. just like she's on the way down and she just gets hit with this new information where she's just like, oh, it's even worse than I thought. <laughs> I mean, it does spawn one of my favorite lines in, I think, movie history, which is, you mean all this time we could have been friends? Yes. Which I just think is so great, and the way she delivers it in this weird little like little girl voice is yeah. so is so perfect. Yeah, but it it makes these characters even more complicated because once that reveal is is revealed, um, <laughs> it you know I I I, sp- I found myself thinking about what uh, Blanche's role and thinking about Jane's role, and I, and I was thinking. This doesn't absolve Jane of anything. Like this, no. This new information doesn't make me go, "Oh, well, then it was okay." All the shit she did. Yeah. She, she's still objectively awful. Yes. To she her still sister. Tortured her sister. Yeah. And, and, and potentially killed her. It's kind of left ambiguous at the end of the movie. Yeah. Um. So, but it does add more sympathy and pathos into it, where it's like she is. She is this really complex character who is sympathetic but also still monstrous and at the end of the movie there's no real resolution right to her um where she ends up and she has she finds she's ultimately finally reverts back into essentially baby jane right who is more taken with the people who have surrounded her um to, to watch, watch her, her practice her dance yeah to watch her madness yeah than she is about her sister who's probably dead yeah, and and it's and I, I like that about this movie a lot that it doesn't at the end it doesn't present you with like here was the real villain mm-hmm. and then here are the people who are absolved. Like there right, isn't right. that doesn't fit neatly e- even the character of Edwin mm-hmm. like he's clearly sleazy and trying to scam a vulnerable older woman. Mm-hmm. But at the same time he is the one who kind of you know she he's he's the one person who spots Blanche tied to the bed and is like, I gotta help her. I gotta, <laughs> I gotta right, do something. Right. You're a monster. Get away from me. Yeah. Like so, he's not all bad either, but he's definitely not like a good guy. Right. And uh, and and uh, Blanche as well. You know, once she reveals yeah. that, I I immediately thought back to her role in the movie that where it's like, okay, well now now I'm thinking about everything she's gone through with her having the knowledge of what she did. Yeah. And while what she did didn't directly turn Jane into an awful person because she seemed to be resentful and <laughs> Right. Jane you know. kind of sucked to begin with. I right. think we can yeah. all agree. I, she seemed like a spoiled brat. Yeah, it definitely didn't help things. Right. Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. But it also kind of answers the question that like I do remember the first time I watched this thinking like 
This came out in like 1962. There were plenty of people in wheelchairs out living mm-hmm. lives. Like at least a couple dozen, yeah. Yeah, at least like, you know, 6 or 7 yeah. or 10, I don't know. Um but yeah, it was sort of weird. Like I remember thinking it was weird that it was like why is it like oh well, she's she's a paraplegic and she's in a wheelchair and that means she has to stay upstairs in the house. Right. And it's like but I feel like you could you know, like people lived lives. Maybe they were like, well, we have enough money. She doesn't need a job, but she could probably like go outside. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, and I think half of it is her vanity. Like she doesn't want to be seen this way by anyone. Mm-hmm. But I do think the other half of it is the, the, the wanting to torture Jane in a way. And also the guilt mm-hmm. of herself. Mm-hmm. Like she's taken Jane's life away and she's taken her own life sure. away. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I think I that's one of the things that I really love about it is that you are presented with these two characters where neither one of them is a hero and neither one of them is a villain ultimately. Right. Or they're, well, both, they're both heroes, heroes and, and they're both, both villains. villains. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I and I like that. I like that this movie doesn't try to flatten that for you. It leaves right. you with like the complications of all of that. Yeah, and it's actually it's actually an a a, a fun movie to watch right after watching Better Watch Out. Mm. because not that they obviously are a one-to-one here, but this movie, I think, could very easily have become more of a, okay, this is about Blanche trying to get out of the house. Yes. And they do some pretty good tense suspense things where Mm -hmm. it's, you know, she's trying to get the attention of the neighbor right to give her information to tell her that her sister's crazy and then yeah. you know, the stuff with the maid going in and out oh, is Elvira. really good she's the yeah. best that's 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 another thing that's so is that nobody's naming their kids elvira <laughs> yeah yeah i well i said i said to you if, if, as we were watching this imagine if elvira in the movie was the real elvira I think very just, different movie i think it would be just as good if not better um <laughs> I, i'm just gonna stick with different i love elvira but um but like the, that, uh, you get to the point where Jane crosses the line you can't cross, which is she yeah. kills Elvira, like straight up kills her. Yeah, yeah. And from that point on, you've got this body hiding stuff, which is fun. Yeah, there's like a slight weekend at Bernie's feet. Yeah, <laughs> feel yeah. Like she puts her in the wheelchair and is wheeling her out to the car. And that's sort of where her descent really starts to kick in. And um, it's just such a it, the reveal of that that uh, the the car crash information at the end is just such a gut punch to Jane on top yeah. of all this other stuff where it's like you are still feeling sympathy for her even though she is a murderer and all of these other things and losing her mind and it's yeah. it's just it's a really fascinating couple of characters in this movie absolutely and uh, yeah and the tension between them is so great and i do want to shout out specifically um Mady norman mm-hmm. who was the actress who played elvira mm-hmm. i think she adds a lot to this movie in terms of yeah. like yeah she's, she's yeah and she's kind of for most of the movie sort of like the third piece of this triangle going on between these three women mm-hmm. where she's kind of the buffer between the sisters and then for a big chunk of the movie, the only one who seems like she might be able to help right, and be able to save Blanche. And I, I did like a brief Wikipedia dive on her because I thought she was great in this movie. And I was like, who is this woman? I've never mm-hmm. heard of her. 
And a lot of Wikipedia was talking about how she kind of refused to take the stereotypical roles available to black women sure, at the time. Sure, yeah. Um, and in Wikipedia, it says that uh, in a 1995 interview, Norman recalled that the character was originally written as a doltish, yesum character. She rewrote the dialogue, which she called old slavery time talk in an effort to dignify the character. Yeah. yeah. I think that's awesome. And I think she did a good job because. Oh, yeah, definitely. She never comes off as like a stereotype. No, she's, she, she just seems like a, a person who works hard at her job and is kind of underestimated and then meets a really unfortunate fate that she didn't deserve. Yeah, she never feels like she's a servant. She feels yeah. like she's a caretaker. Yes. Which is, I think, very important. Yeah, I think so too. And like she she feels like a personality. Mm-hmm. Like she has her own inner life going on. She's not just like, you know, solely concerned with doing the cooking and the cleaning for these two rich white ladies. Right. Yeah. I mean, and and you've got people who are actively looking for her. Yeah. Which honestly might not have been the case for a lot of those roles. Right. Like the fact that the cops were even talking about looking for her is like, yeah. you know, 1960 in Hollywood, like in the United States, you're probably not going to get a lot of attention if you're a woman of color who's gone missing. Right. It's like, oh, she ran off with some boyfriend. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I just I had to I had to pull that out specifically because I just think she's a she's a very compelling character for the little amount of screen time that she has. Yeah. Yeah. And I think uh, she's smart, too. Yeah. Like, uh <laughs> I don't know why I thought it was like the smartest think on your feet move in the world for her to be like, I left my keys at the house. I don't have my keys on me. Because you would reflect if you've worked for these people for years and you're just like, I could see myself reflexively just reaching into my purse to be like, all right, I guess I'm fired here. Wait a minute. Yeah. (laughs) Be like, no, I don't have them. Like, I really don't. Yeah. And the fact that she walks all the way back to the bus stop. Yeah, brilliant. And waits to watch her drive away and mm-hmm. then goes back. It's mm-hmm. like, smart lady. Not so smart. Next door neighbor. Oh, that neighbor. Who the girl, the younger girl is apparently Betty Davis's yeah. daughter in real life. Yeah. <laughs> Which is pretty great that she's like, doesn't she like talk trash about her? I think so. Like yeah. that crazy old lady next door. Yeah. Oh, I'll take this role, mom. Yeah. No problem. <laughs> well, apparently when she saw... um because Betty Davis, and this is another thing I wanted to talk about a little bit with mm-hmm. this movie, is the costuming. Oh, yeah. And and the way that these two women are presented physically. Um, Betty Davis insisted on doing her own makeup. Mm, I was reading that, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, where she was like, I got this. I know exactly what I'm going to do. And so those ridiculous, like, overly painted lips and the little heart-shaped mole she draws on her face, mm-hmm. the fact that she's wearing the same wig or, like, hairstyle she's been wearing since she was a little kid were like mostly her choices. Yeah, yeah. Um, apparently when her daughter saw her in makeup the first time, she said something like, oh, well, now you've really gone too far. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, w- I was reading that um, one of the reasons that she wanted to do it herself is because mm. she knew that she was a big enough star that no makeup artist would go far enough. Oh, <clears throat> interesting. And uh, she was talking to a friend of hers who was a makeup artist uh, and I guess showed him or her the the makeup, and yeah. the makeup artist said, "Yeah, if I did that to you, I would never work in this town again." Wow! So, so she knew that since being such a glamorous star, yeah, she 
no one was going to um, risk their job by making her look ugly. Right, right. Even though it's intentional in the movie, it's still not going to look great on your resume if you're a makeup artist. Right, right. And I guess I guess Joan Crawford was the opposite, where she really yeah. didn't want to look crappy. She was like very still into her appearance, yeah. being, looking very put together and and very glamorous, even when it's like you've been tied to a bed for a week. Right. And she's like, but my hair. <laughs> Man, uh, eyebrows, intense, uh, yeah. intense eyebrows on her. Yeah, yeah, I'm all for it. <laughs> I got some intense eyebrows myself. I'm, I'm for it. <laughs> um, but I love the way that their, their, the sartorial choices around both of them show that they're both stuck mm-hmm. in these like past versions of themselves. Mm-hmm. Like maybe maybe blanche slightly less so but she's still a little too into her presentation you know she's still got a picture of herself on the wall like a glamour shot i i at the beginning of this movie when i saw that i was like that's so weird who sleeps who sleeps with their bed just like directly hanging over the their bed a glamour shot of themselves when they were younger that's fucking weird and then later in the movie, it shows you like the sitting room downstairs and Jane has just decked it out in yeah. all pictures of herself when she was baby Jane and then when she was in movies. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, okay, you two are the same. Yeah. Like yeah. you're really the same. Yeah. Um, But I was also just going to say that Bl- Blanche for the first kind of, but before things really start falling apart for, for Blanche, um, Whenever you see her, she's shot in this kind of old Hollywood way where she's always kind of like turning to camera and like getting the light oh, on yeah. her face. Yeah. And the music's very like old school romantic Hollywood movie. And she's always like, oh, yes. Can I help you with something? Right. And it's very like, you know, butterflies might as well be flying around. And then Jane kind of just stomps around. Yeah. Yeah. And like. A nightgown. Even even in their <clears throat> general portrayals, like the way that Joan Crawford plays the um, captive is very dramatic. Yeah. Yes. Whereas Betty Davis is just constantly, it's like, like my aunt or, or something, <laughs> where she's just, like you said, she's stomping around, coming yeah. in like, what are you crying about? Yeah. Like it's, and Joan Crawford is like, oh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> hand on the head oh, fainting oh, Jane, kind of stuff Jane yeah. don't please yeah. don't oh Jane yeah get out of the goddamn yeah. chair um, and yeah it, it's a really it's it's a willingness to be ugly that I found very impressive on yeah. Betty Davis's part yes and one of the things that really fascinated me about this movie especially watching it now is there seems to have been a trend it wasn't all exactly you know, in the same was it in the same deck? One of the movies that I wrote down. Mm. Uh, eh, close. Anyway, there is a trend in movies now where it's very nostalgia driven. Yeah, and it's very reverential for things that came before. It's, mm. You know, the the South Park member berries thing. Yes, right? yes. And it's a lot of presenting the things you're familiar with either repackaged or in the best light possible. Yes. And, um, you know, it's the the the, the thing that, uh, I don't know, do you ever watch Red Letter Media on YouTube? Uh, I'm not really a big 
yeah, well, YouTube person. Well, anyway, they, they were doing their review of Halloween Kills. Okay. And they kept playing clips of the people making the movie talking about all the people who were coming back for the movie. Mm. We got the sheriff back. We got this guy back. We got this character who didn't have a name. He's back too. Group of five extras who stood over in that corner. They're all back. All the the people that you want to see. Nothing has changed. It's all the same. And it's, and it's uh, there. Obviously there's, there are people who enjoy that and some people who find it kind of disgusting, but, Regardless, it seems to be what the big trend is now yeah. in movie making. Yes. I find this movie very fascinating because this movie, uh, something like Sunset Boulevard, mm. um, there's a movie uh, called Targets that mm. came out in the 60s. It was actually uh, Peter Bogdanovich's like first movie, I think, mm. with um, Boris Karloff. Uh, there's a Vincent Price movie I love called Madhouse, and I'm sure yeah. there's a number of other ones present nostalgia as something inherently evil yes and this idea that being obsessed with your glory days or the thing that you once were yeah is nothing but a dark hole yeah and what i find so kind of bold about this movie and i'm i think they they do it in targets and they also do it in in madhouse i can't remember if they do in sunset boulevard Mm -hmm. is they present these characters who are well past their prime Yep. Delusional or otherwise. And they show the, they use footage of themselves in their prime as their fictional selves in their prime. So basically they'll use, in this movie, they use footage from Betty Davis movies when she was young. Yep. Joan Crawford movies when she was young to juxtapose against what they have both become, which are these two kind of like, you know, has been, has been, you know, ugly, ugly inside, ugly. Well, you know, they're not ugly outside necessarily, but, <laughs> but, and it's, I just find it so fascinating because it's, it's, it seems like for a long time there was this anti nostalgia kind of push where when this yeah. stuff was presented, it was presented a lot more. Or maybe, I don't know, maybe, maybe it's always been kind of both sides and there's always been this reverential angle to nostalgia. Yeah. And also this other side where people are like, no, this is. Yeah. I, I, I think the thing that, that a movie like this, really highlights and it sounds like some of the other ones you named do do as well is the when it's so self-centered when that nostalgia like one of the things i almost included in our list of things you'll find was like narcissism as decor Mm -hmm. because that's really what they're they're so they're not just obsessed with a past time because they think oh the world was better then it was simpler everyone was happy we all got along like that's not what they're interested in they're like look at me yeah i was beautiful i was successful i was everything and they still feel like they are those people right and they can't let it go like they can't look at themselves as they are now and so it causes this break with reality and I think that's maybe the specific part of no- nostalgia that these movies are kind of really digging into mm. when it's that like you're so convinced you're still that person that you can't accept the world around you anymore. Yeah. And there's a certain element of it too <clears throat> in terms of <clears throat> excuse me, h- how you're willing to present yourself in these movies to the audience. Yeah. Because you've got these a movie like this which starts out with, oh, that's the Betty Davis I remember. Oh, that's yes. the Joan Crawford I remember. And then hard cut to 
I don't know who this monster is, yeah. but this isn't Betty Davis, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's like, like I said, Greg had to say to me, wait, is that the same woman yeah. as, as she was in the movie they were watching in the theater, right? And it's like, yeah, that's her. Yeah. Same woman. And I think, yeah, I think a lot of credit goes to Betty Davis, especially for being so willing to put herself out there in a very unflattering light. Mm-hmm. Like both the character is not a good or nice character, but she's also physically willing to kind of be ugly and monstrous. And I think back then, like actresses did not do that. They barely do it now. I know. I mean, you know, when they do it, they get a fucking Academy of, well, I guess Betty Davis. Yeah, isn't it like, you know, too, they're like, look at Nicole Kidman. <laughs> I mean, She's Charlotte, not I, gorgeous. She's just normal looking. Give that woman an Oscar. Yeah, not that, not that Charlize Theron is not a great actress, but yeah. she won an Oscar for being ugly basically yes for being willing (laughs) to be to be fair i didn't see that movie i'm sure she's great in it but i feel like the only thing people talked about was oh my god look how awful she looks yeah yeah like oh but you know she's so beautiful right it's it's astounding she could even possibly look so terrible yeah and yeah that's still kind of like an awards baity move and back then it was unheard of i mean even women of their ages and they were not that old at the time Mm -hmm. but women of their ages being the leads in a movie was oh, like yeah, sure yeah. oh sheesh hope you know what you're doing that doesn't sound like like everyone thought this movie was going to be a flop because yeah. who would want to go see these two old hags right right and it's like you know they're not that old <laughs> right yeah <laughs> but back then it was like people couldn't believe that they were getting roles still at all yeah yeah it's i it it is such an interesting thing the the nostalgia kick that we're currently on um you know as as they said in the new matrix movie the, what the perfect <laughs> cure for anxiety is a little boost of nostalgia yeah um which is probably very true and indicative of why so much of that is is happening recently hey, we're all still trapped in our formative years in our heads yeah yeah you know yep just like we're all still trapped in our houses yeah we're all baby jane um trapped in our houses <clears throat> thinking we're still young and successful <laughs> yeah yeah it's i i i just find it really interesting when they can take a step back and kind of look at this from a more cynical i don't even want to say cynical but it is it is pretty cynical uh yeah. point of view I can't wait. I'm really looking forward to doing Madhouse. Madhouse mm. is one of my favorite Vincent Price movies. Yeah. It is not as um, thematically or complexly written as this movie is, but it's still pretty <laughs> good. It's Vincent Price and Peter Cushing, so it's a good time. Nice. Um, but yeah, so where where else to go? Um, <laughs> um, I mean, we haven't really talked much about Edwin. Yeah, let's talk about Edwin. You want to touch on Edwin a little bit? Because I know you you enjoyed his character very much. I loved Edwin. Yeah. (laughs) I loved his performance. (laughs) I loved that character. Mm -hmm. He is as scummy as anybody else in the movie. Yep. Um, His... The I when I said earlier that there was uh, great parenting in this, his mom telling him telling him to get out there and find himself (laughs) a job so he can support the family. Yeah. I thought that when you said that, I, I wasn't sure who you were talking about. <laughs> I was like, I mean, I guess the neighbors seems like a pretty cool mom. Yeah. It, but he's, 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 a, he's a really great character because he like, he's put in this position where he, he 
could play it straight if he wanted to. Yeah. Like, he's got a job. He's This woman, I mean, it, it's kind of shitty, but mm-hmm. he, he's being kind of shitty and taking advantage, but she's going to pay him a shitload of money yeah. to do something that isn't going to go anywhere. And, he, I mean, he didn't really... So so he sees her job ad looking for a musician because mm-hmm. she wants to revive her act. He has his mom pose as his secretary yeah. to call and make the appointment. He goes and he kind of, you know, light, lightly auditions for her. It seems pretty sure that he's nice to her, so she's going to hire him. But then he plays the piano and he's actually very good. Um, but he doesn't really, like, swindle her. No, like he. No. I think he knows he's taking advantage of mm-hmm. a, a person who's not fully in in possession of all her faculties. But he he never like lies. He, he lies to her a little bit, but he doesn't like pressure her. He doesn't like right. Like he kind of makes like sad faces until she's like, "Well, I'll pay you. I'll pay you four hundred dollars a month." And he's yeah, like, "Yeah, oh great, all settled." Yeah, and then he, you know, he shows up. He he mooches off of her, but he's never like physically threatening her or anything. No, no. Like, so he's scummy, but he's not evil. Right, right. Yeah. And he has the he's in the position where he can just take the win. Yeah, but he still fucks it up. Yeah, because he goes out <laughs> and he gets drunk. Yep. And um, after uh, he's supposed to go out to dinner with with Jane, but then yes. she's in the middle of like having an episode or something, so she because doesn't she killed the door, Elvira. She killed Elvira. <laughs> Um, Which seems to be the thing that really sends her over the edge. Oh, definitely. Yeah. 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 And it's at the end of, I mean, the monstrous thing she does. She kills Blanche's bird. Yes. uh, Tells her that it escaped while she was cleaning the cage and then serves it to her for lunch. On a platter. You know, like there's... On a bed of tomatoes. I was not expecting her to go that hard that quickly. Yeah. Because like when she she takes the cage out and she the, the bird escapes quote unquote i was like okay so this is there's going to be a lot of gaslighting here there's going to be a lot right, of mental games right I was she not, let her bird out and i think elvira yeah. even says it like you did that on purpose yeah. or something i was not expecting the very next scene to be her delivering lunch yeah to blanche and that lunch being the dead bird on a bed of tomatoes yes and then later a dead rat on the bed of tomatoes. Oh, Blanche, do you know we have rats in the basement? Yeah, it's she's going pretty hard pretty quick. Mm-hmm. And it makes me assume that if she's going that hard, that must be just how she does things. Well, it's interesting because there's this kind of question throughout of like... So we, we find out that Blanche is planning to sell the house. Right. And she's going to have Jane committed. Mm-hmm. Uh, or put in a home somewhere, which back then was bad news. Um, also, sorry. Yes. Not to. No, please. Uh, I just realized that Mady Norman is actually yes. in Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. <gasps> really? She has a small part as a nurse, so that's Aww. fun. Anyway, sorry. Didn't mean to interrupt. <laughs> no, that makes me very excited. I'm very glad to know that. <laughs> Next time I watch that movie, I'm going to keep an eye out for her. Mm. Um, but so, so, so Blanche has this plan, and then there's definitely like kind of a a, a, a a secondary reveal later on that Jane knows. Right. And like they, they, there's sort of talk between Blanche and Elvira where they're like, well, you know, she seemed to be getting better, but she's been drinking an awful lot in the last month. Mm-hmm. And you, that's when you find out that that, that timeline kind of lines up with when she talked to somebody on the phone about selling the house. Right. And so it seems like the first trigger is, 
Jane finds out that Blanche is going to sell the house and, and have her committed. And that starts her. She starts drinking more mm-hmm. and that starts escalating her bad behavior, which leads to all of this stuff, which then leads to her murdering Elvira, which then leads to her really, yeah, really she, fully going off the deep end. And she really she reacts very child. Well, childishly, if you're, you know, the bad seed. Um, but like she she, she <laughs> yeah, acts. In a, that's she, a great movie. It too. is. Yeah. I, I assume we'll, we'll be doing that at some point. I hope so. Um, but yeah, her reaction is very childish, but also very twisted and weird. Well, her reactions as a child seem pretty twisted and weird too. So yeah, so it's, in, it's in character. Um, as far as her drinking goes, there's one bit that I thought was <laughs> hilarious. I know immediately what you're going to say because she, Jane opens up <laughs> the cabinets to and to reveal an entire cabinet full of empty scotch bottles. Yes, and my girlfriend said, "Why?" why would you keep all those empties in there? And I was like, oh, that's just good storytelling. That's <laughs> expository empties. So you know, so the audience knows she drinks a lot of scotch. Greg said he, he she was waiting until uh, recycling was invented. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't, I don't know if it's good storytelling, but yeah. it, he gets the point across. Yes, it does. Um, but yeah, Edwin, Edwin is such a, a, a doofus because he's, he just ends up backing his way into this. And it's not yeah. it's not even like a sinister kind of a thing where it's like he kind of fucks up, she kind of fucks up, he gets drunk and goes over there and just happens to discover that Blanche is tied up upstairs. Yeah. And then he goes running out and tries to tell people, but nobody listens to him. Because he's, he's a, a drunk, drunk. guy yeah. running around. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's this movie is full of such interesting characters that are mm-hmm. that are very they're not one note, they're not flat or, or one dimensional. Um Everybody's kind of shitty except for Mady. Yeah. Is that her name? No, I'm sorry. Elvira. Mady's her real <laughs> I was name. Say, the real, her real name is Mady. Yeah. I'm just, well, she was a maid kind of, so I think yeah. I did. Um, but yeah, she's the only one who is like, like a good person. Like a real person. <laughs> yeah. And she gets murdered because of it. Yes. So, yeah. So. so we mentioned um, the uh, uh, various animals on the served as food. As torture. Um, yes. There's the psychological torture of Blanche. Um, and, and, and the physical abuse. Sure. Yeah, she's tied yeah. up. Well, she beats the shit out of her. That's too. true. Yeah. <laughs> Downstairs, she kicks her until she's unconscious. And yeah. then she drags her back upstairs and like ties her up in a stress position and starves her. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, like seven. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so those are pretty horrible things. Hmm. So where do you fall on whether or not this is a horror movie? So I I think this is a horror movie mm-hmm. in the same vein that, you know, non-supernatural movies with, with crazy people can be horror movies. Sure. Do you know what I mean? Like, sure. Like, I keep thinking of Psycho because it's a similar time period and it's also black and white. And they did try to get Alfred Hitchcock to direct this. That um, tracks. Yeah. Yeah, because there's a, a lot of the stuff with Blanche trying to escape feels like Hitchcocky type stuff. Yeah, the tension uh, and, yeah. and the suspense. Yeah. Um, you know, in Psycho, there's no supernatural right. forces. Right. There's no serial killer, like, broken out from the mental institute running around in the woods. Mm-hmm. Like, it's it's kind of the, this similar, like, surprisingly quiet characters that are both good and bad mm-hmm. um but complicated in 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 most of that movie and and then you know that counts as a horror movie so i, I kind of count this one too i think the difference is that the tone of this one 
it's like not sinister enough. Yeah. Like there's suspense and there are moments of horror. Mm. You know, like when Jane is kicking Blanche, you know, uh, this paraplegic woman who's lying on the ground. She's been starved for days. She's weak. And Jane's just really kicking her and like Mm. kicking her around. She's hitting furniture and stuff. Like that's pretty horrifying when you think about it. Yeah. And, you know, when they kind of first open the door and they, you see Blanche and the way she's tied up and her mouth is duct taped, like that's kind of a horrifying reveal too. And Elvira getting killed. But there's just something about, uh, I don't know. I don't know if it's like just the, the pacing or the way it's shot or something about it that doesn't emphasize the sort of House of Horrors elements of right, it quite yeah. so much. Yeah. It's all kind of shot in the same way throughout whether we're seeing baby jane dance on stage or blanche and elvira are having a conversation in blanche's room or jane is at the bank right like it's all kind of shot with the same lighting and the same tone and the same general vibe and so i i think there's something about that that just maybe prevents it from feeling like a horror movie yeah i'm a little surprised they they remade this or i guess readapted depending on where you stand with that stuff um in like i think the either late 80s or early 90s with uh vanessa and lynn redgrave as the sisters and apparently it's not very good yeah um it actually does have amy Steele from friday the 13th part two in it though uh that's jenny from part two (laughs) And I'm I'm surprised that they didn't that they've never remade this and dialed it up. Yeah, because like uh, another movie I hope to do at some point as a wild card is the Robert Englund 1980s version of Phantom of the Opera, which oh wow I only saw I think I saw pieces of it when I was a kid and it was one of those movies I thought I dreamt. Yeah, and I finally got my hands on it. Wow, and, I, and it, it has terrible reviews. And I watched it. I was like, this movie is fucking awesome because it's <laughs> like it's a very clear. It's very clear what they're doing, which I is so intrigued by. This. Oh, it's so good. They, they're taking <laughs> Phantom of the Opera and they're like, yeah. let's get an 80s horror guy and make Phantom of the Opera an 80s horror movie. So it's yeah. like they dial up the gore. They dial up like the. I kind of want to tell you what his mask is, but I won't. Please don't, because okay. I I do want I do want to do this one. <laughs> yeah, but it's like you know they, they they dial up the 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 eighties horror of it all. Yeah, and this seems like a movie where you could do that very easily. Where yes, I I think I'm not saying they should because I yeah. think what is so great about this is it walks that line so so well. Right. Um. Because I uh, if you turn it up too much, then Jane becomes uh. You know, you, there's no room for sympathy. She goes too right. far over the line. Right. Um, yeah, you lose a lot of that ambiguity and the nuance we were yeah. kind of complimenting yeah. earlier if you go too far. But I but I think there are other ways you could do it atmospherically. Mm-hmm. Like, like, you know, they're supposed to be living in this... Everything I read about this movie says, oh, two sisters are living in a crumbling Hollywood mansion. The mansion it's looks beautiful. fine. Yeah, <laughs> like, Elvira's doing a great move job. Move in there yeah. tomorrow. Yes, and so I think you know maybe if you have a little more emphasis on the fact that like the physical surroundings are starting to kind mm-hmm. of crumble around them, 
or just add a little extra eeriness or or, or like a little more feeling of a threat at different times. I think you could push Jane's appearance further where maybe as the movie goes, she starts looking worse and worse. They kind of do that a little bit, but they they don't really go too far. Yeah, it's actually funny because I think at points they do it in the opposite direction where she looks pretty rough at the beginning of the 1962 portion. And there's a period in the middle where she sort of, she still looks and I think is intentionally supposed to look slightly ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Like makeup caked on Mm -hmm. wearing these outfits that are clearly not like fashionable or stylish or I don't really believe in age appropriate, but you know what I mean? They look like her costumes from when she was a little girl, but she looks way more put together. Right. Like right. she's doing her hair more. Mm-hmm. She's like, you know, got her jewelry and her accessories. She got her handbag and her shoes. Like she's not just like frumping around the house in slippers and a bathrobe anymore. Yeah. Um, I think they could also push Blanche's appearance in her deterioration oh, sure. yeah. way further. Yeah. And just show because I think that's part of it. Like, you know, and that make that might go back to what we were talking about before, where you know Joan Crawford didn't want to be ugly, right? Um, but you could have emphasized like how long she's been going without food and water, and like how emaciated she's getting, and like it's got to be kind of gross in that room. Oh yeah, after a few days. Yeah, and I'm not saying you need to show all of that super explicitly. I've seen hoarders. <laughs> I know how many rooms full of diapers those people have. Yeah, yeah, yeah but I think you could. It, you know, you could do that kind of stuff with it, yeah, definitely. and have it be a little bit more. You know, maybe Edwin, as he's snooping around, comes across a little bit more of like, "Ooh, okay, wait a minute." Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. he opens the fridge and all the food's rotted or something like that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Did you ever see? Do you ever? Do you ever watch um documentary now? Yes. Did yeah. you see the Gray Gardens one? <laughs> yes. It's kind of like I feel like that's what you would end up doing. Yes. With this, if you were to push yeah. it further, yeah. Um, yeah, and I, I I wonder how far you can go with that stuff before Jane becomes too much of a monster or how or Blanche becomes too pathetic and Yeah. I think I think the, the best thing about this movie is they, they do kind of strike the right tone. Yeah. Um and as far as it being a horror movie, I think I would stop short of calling it a horror movie. Mm. Um it's tough because the 60s, especially the early 60s, you know, like like you were saying, it's not that tonally dissimilar to Psycho. Right. It's not, there's no, well, I mean, I guess she does kill somebody. <laughs> yeah, I, it's, yeah, it is. It's one of those movies where when you, when you put it all down on paper, like if you list out all the stuff that happens, mm-hmm. it's like not, you know, the, 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 the mental and the physical abuse and torture even the stuff like Jane learning how to imitate Blanche's voice and like finding one of her old autographs to, to learn to copy right, her signature right. in preparation for killing her off. Like that stuff's really ominous. Uh, you got, you know, animals get killed. People get beaten. Uh, people get, someone gets killed with a hammer. Like, you know, all this different stuff. If you, if you list it all out, it sounds really hardcore and intense. But when you watch it, there's something like just short of, I don't know, it like it like kind of pulls its punches at moments. Yeah, I was just doing a quick search on our list to see what other movies from the early 60s are on here. And we've got um, 
uh, Psycho from 1960, mm-hmm. uh, The Innocents from 1961, I think. Yeah. Uh, the Birds from 1963. Mm. Carnival of Souls from 1962. So all of those movies, yeah, like I feel like they're kind of in the same ballpark tonally. Right. It's this weird period of time where you're sort of you're not making monster movies anymore, really. Right, you're right. not doing Dracula and 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 Frankenstein as the like big horror movies in the castle somewhere in Europe, but you haven't made it yet to like Texas Chainsaw and stuff like right, that. Right, right, yeah. Yeah. You yeah, know, it's more I'm, like the master of suspense Hitchcock kind of era. I'm so on the fence. I'm gonna say I feel like I have to start. I don't know. I, it's tough. I, I guess if if you're gonna call Psycho a horror movie, mm-hmm. I think you can probably get away with also calling this a horror movie. Yeah, but I'm not mad at people who don't think it is. Sure. Like yeah. like if 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 we get you know if a bunch of listeners are like, "Fuck you, Amanda. This was a terrible wild card pick because mm-hmm. it's not a horror movie." I'm just gonna be like, okay. Valid opinion. I disagree, but yeah. you get to have that opinion because I can see the argument. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with yes with an asterisk. Yeah, where it's like I think, I think it can count. I don't think it counts as much as some other ones do. But yeah, I think it could go either way. Yeah, and I, and I think that for me, or mm. I'll go with my favorite Simpsons answer. Yes, which is. Long answer, yes, with an F. Short answer, no, with a but. <laughs> I like that. That's a good. That's a good one. Um, but that's. I think that's why I'm not mad that this isn't on the list. Mm-hmm. You know, like this is an extremely highly rated movie. Yeah. It's extremely yeah. critically acclaimed. All of this stuff. It's very well done. I think the acting in it's really good. I think the story is compelling. But I also am like, you know. It's not on this list, and I kind of get why. Yeah. Would you put it on the list? I, You know, I, do, I don't think so for the exact reason of the fact that we have to have this debate. Yeah. And, the, and that it is so shades of gray in terms of whether or not it even is a horror movie. Mm-hmm. I think that means that in all, all of film history, there are probably 200 solidly horror movies yeah. that you can find yeah. that were a, about as good or as influential as this one. Interestingly, hmm. those movies I named off previously yes. are the only movies on this list from those respective years. Mm. There's only Psycho is the only movie from 1960. Yep. Innocence is the only one from 1961. Yeah. Uh, Carnival of Souls is the only one from 1962, and The Birds is the only one from 1963. Yeah. Nothing from 1964. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of not surprised. I feel like... The whole genre didn't really know what the fuck it was doing at that yeah. point. Like, I don't yeah. think horror, the horror genre as we know it now, I don't think it really existed at that moment. Yeah, I think you're, you're, it's in a, the 60s are a weird space for horror too, because you are, you're, you're, like you were saying, you're coming off of the universal monsters, you're coming yeah. off of the, the science fiction boom of the 50s and stuff. Yep. What you are also in the middle of is fairly, strict censorship stuff yes um and it's not until around 1968 where uh things change and yeah you can start doing 
more difficult stuff. Yeah. Visually or thematically. Like Rosemary's Baby is really kind of like the line where I draw the line. Yeah. That's where I draw the line. <laughs> Nothing beyond that. But, you know, like as far as like movie violence and stuff, a lot of people point to Bonnie and Clyde as being the first modern, the, the movie that, yeah. that, that um, um, foretells, foretells, <laughs> Uh, words begins with a P. I can't forget what it is. But it's the it's the one it's the one that's like okay from here on now you're into the seventies. Like this right, is when right. movie violence goes through the roof. Yeah, things get harder. Themes get harder. The uh, <clears throat> stuff gets grittier. Yeah, and I think the same thing with Rosemary's Baby. Also, Rosemary's Baby and Night of the Living Dead. Mm. Same year. When did those come out? Nineteen sixty-eight. Okay. Yeah. Okay. When was um like the Omen? That was like 73, I think. Oh, wow. 73, 74. Okay, that's yeah. later than I thought. Yeah, for Rosemary's some reason, Baby is was... always earlier than I think it is. Mm. Same with Night of the Living Dead. I keep forgetting it's a 60s movie. But... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I would have thought of those as like definitely like 72 or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah? But yeah, it's, yeah uh, 68 seems to be where the film revolution all around kind of happens. Yeah, it's like a big turning point. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because then you've, with horror into the 70s, you've got early 70s, right, right away, you've yeah. got uh, The Omen and Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Black Christmas and stuff like that, so. Yeah, and so I think when, when you look at this movie in in sort of like within the pocket in which it was made and it, and it, and it came out, like mm-hmm. even thinking back to when we saw The Innocents, it's like The Innocents isn't, if you wrote it down on paper, it's not as much of a horror movie as whatever happened to Baby Jane. Like, sure. Sure, yeah. You know, it's like highly questionable if there are any ghosts or if this is just a woman going through a mental breakdown. Mm-hmm. And like that would then be kind of the description for this whole movie. Of, of yeah. Like for the innocence, it would be like a governess goes through a mental breakdown and it results in the death of one of the children in her care. Yeah, yeah. That doesn't sound like a horror, horror movie, but because of the style in which it's done, throw, I think it's... Throw ghosts into the equation. Exactly. Yeah. Even if they're not maybe just hallucinations right. it makes it much easier to point to it and be like no 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 that's a horror movie yeah. whereas this one has got you know torture and assault and kidnapping yeah. and murder and all sorts of stuff and you we're you know still kind of reasonably debating is it a horror movie though talking talking through whether or not this is a horror movie actually had my mind going as to like can i get the rights to this <laughs> could i do this as a comic book and like oh, really man. kind of push it in the comic i can't imagine they're difficult to get because if the the book rights are probably well it's a conversation for a different time i'm talking to my lawyer (laughs) um yeah yeah. because that'd be kind of amazing like a new like a a reinterpretation of of this kind of story yeah 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 it would be interesting yeah on the back burner there you go um so yeah i think that's gonna do it for whatever happened to baby jane now we know what happened she went nuts and Caused her sister to die from exhaustion, I guess. I mean, she got some ice cream at the beach. That's true, yeah. <laughs> it's all in your perspective, Clay. Yeah. This yeah. is either a happy ending or a really sad one. Well, you know, I think the thing that's so interesting about these 60s movies is the 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 early 60s horror and suspense movies Yeah. seem a lot more complex. Yes. Like, Psycho, arguably probably the least complex, but still pretty complex. Right. And the innocence, forget about it. That yeah. whole movie, you're yeah. just going like, "What's happening? <laughs> who's 
there's yeah, so many like, things. Wait, is that true? Or so is many this layers. True? Yeah. Wait, did she, did that happen? Did the scene I just watched even really happen? Right. Yeah. You know, in this one, you've got these two really, really interesting characters who are yeah. not black and white. <laughs> not, yeah, well, I guess they are literally black and white. <laughs> They're not um, easy to pin down or put into. And right as soon as you think you've got them figured out, yeah. they do something else that makes you not realize yeah you don't know what's going on with which them. keeps you so off your feet and 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 disoriented in terms of how you're supposed to feel that right. it makes them really creepy yeah and uncanny yeah. like yeah. it makes them especially especially jane where you're just like no idea what is going to go on with her next yeah. yeah have you seen hush hush sweet charlotte that's, hard, that's hard to say i have not it's a hard title to say sweet charlotte hush hush sweet charlotte the human <laughs> torch was denied a bank loan <laughs> um, I can't imagine it's better than this. Sure I don't. I don't think so. The same th- director. Yes. And Joan Crawford does not come back. No. Yeah. No, I've heard it's not bad, but I, I, I think if you're gonna pick one, yeah, pick Baby Jane. And that you did, and that uh, I did. good choice. You're welcome. Uh, I hit the randomizer button. Beep boop boop beep boop boop beep boop. boop. And next time we'll be doing number 190, which is frailty. Which is a movie that I feel hmm. like is very widely loved, but goes under the radar for a lot of for a, it's not a it's yeah. not a top billing one. But if you go, you ever see Frailty? People who have seen it go, fuck, I, mean, I fucking love. Frailty. See, okay, I'm I'm excited because I definitely got my, my mom let me get this out of the uh, discount bin and the DVDs at Costco. That is where it would be. Yes, um, I think I've seen there's like eight or nine of them <laughs> yes. just floating around in there. Yes. Uh, and I definitely watched it and I remember not liking it when I watched it, mm-hmm. but I was also like 13 at the time. That Yeah. Okay. That's going to be interesting. Because, yeah. So uh, I'm, I'm excited to revisit this as an adult because I, I feel like I might have a different feeling about it. Yeah. The, Frailty was one where I saw it in the theater with mm. a f- couple of my friends and we were like, that was awesome. <laughs> was that, was that, did you like this? Yeah, I really like that. So we'll see if it holds up, but All right. uh, look, looking forward to that one. Exciting. Um, also, I was thinking, I haven't, we haven't talked about this, but yeah. should we do like a live stream about Scream 5 or something? Probs. Unless, well, we'll give it a, give it a, well, yeah, we'll probably do that. I was going to say we could wait and see if it ends up on the list. I doubt it will, but. Uh, you never know. This list is, a. Uh, it's got a mind of its own. It does. It very, it very much does. <laughs> uh, but yeah, w- that comes out on the 15th, I think. Oh, that's sooner than I thought. Yeah, it's a couple weeks. So Whoops. maybe uh, maybe we'll do a live stream where we chat about Scream 5, even though we haven't watched Scream 2 through 4. Um, <laughs> I don't think we need to. Didn't stop us from doing one for <laughs> Halloween Kills. That's true. Uh, but thank you guys for listening. Uh, if you want to follow us on Patreon this year, we, we wrapped up Friday the 13th, our Friday the 13th coverage. Thank God. And this year, uh, we will be covering Stephen King movies, yes. but we, there's a bunch on our list. So these are Stephen King adaptations that are not on our list. So it's things like, uh, the dark half and needful mm, things, silver bullet, silver bullet, Christine, maximum overdrive January. Our first one, we will be doing it part two. Yeah. Because we are going to bookend the year with uh, completing the It saga. Lots of it. <laughs> lots of lots of It. <laughs> uh, January will be It Part 2, and then December will be the 1990 television two-parter. And that'll be it. And that'll be it. Period. Uh, <laughs> so if you want to follow us along on that follow journey. Follow along with us? Follow It. Follow... <laughs> 
Clay is having a small stroke. We should probably end this recording. You, if you want to follow, uh, if you want to, I can't do it. Um, go to <laughs> patreon.com slash the Penske file and join our Patreon where you have access to the Stephen King adaptations and so many other things. All 12 episodes of our Friday the 13th coverage, among other oodles and oodles of episodes from uh, the other podcasts that, uh, that we do there. Uh, but thank you guys for listening, and we will see you next time. Bye, everyone. Bye.